0: So no, we are, we have made it to Romans 5. Um, business is about to pick up in this book one that I say that is, I counted, just so you would know, for the next about 10 weeks or so, there are a whole pile of Bible verses that you guys know. Even if you don't know that you know them, you're going to hear them and go, oh, wait, I know that one. And they're in there and you have them memorized, but just remember one rule about us. We have coffee cup theology here. So we will not look at any of those special verses that you know unto themselves, and we will not look at them unto themselves. We will look at them in their context, okay. And I will joyfully ignore them individually and look at them in context just for fun. mm. (laughs) Um, The second thing that I have to warn you about is the next, like I said, two, probably two and a half months, there are some of people's most beloved Bible verses. So I'm going to prep you now. Prepare to be disappointed. And I'm serious about that, because we're not going to just be like, here's everybody's favorite verse. We're just going to hammer this one for the whole day. No, no, We're going to look at the whole passage, and it's going to serve its its supporting function like every other verse does in Scripture, and we're going to take a whole meeting and try to apply it. You will be okay, mostly. I will be okay, and we will get through this together. Does that sound good? (laughs) But as you get into that you are going to have to deal with the, well, no, I wanted to spend more time on my favorite. It's just not going to happen. Sorry. just You've been warned ahead of time. Now you know. With that said, this is also the beginning, what I'm basically referring to as the nuts and bolts of things. So Paul has laid down that foundation of salvation by grace through faith. He's going to allude back to it about 800 more times, but it, the foundation has been laid now. But now it's time to flesh out the ideas, to make it make sense for you. Because, this is what Romans is trying to do. I've always joked, like one of the verses that everybody has memorized is Romans 1 and 2. And, always, and people always forget that that renewing of your mind verse starts with a therefore. And the therefore is the first 11 chapters of Romans. If you don't get the first 11 chapters of Romans, you don't understand how this renewing of mind makes sense. And that's what Romans is going to do to you for really the whole book. You have to just kind of keep in mind where you are, what has been explained, and what has laid down. Because as I've told you before, From here until the end of the book, there's no real good spot to cut it, and we have completed that train of thought. Maybe somewhere around chapter 10, there's a couple of spots like that, but other than that, you are going to have to have some functional knowledge of what has come before. So if you are one of those people that goes, what did we do last week? Just go back during the week occasionally and just read a couple of chapters in Romans just to kind of stick it back in your brain so that we have some sort of working foundation when we get started. Sound good? Okay. You have been warned. Verse one, let's dive in. Therefore, see what I mean? That's everything that's come before. You have been justified by faith. I'm sorry, if I could read in English, we would be so good. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, we're going to pause right there because the therefore is that foundational stuff that Paul has laid out. He's already proven that you have been justified by faith. I'm not rehashing that because we've been doing it for a month. Just You'll have to go back and find those old ones. You will have to deal with that. But that second part, we have peace with God, that's more than kind of a big deal. That's a fulfillment of the promise of the incarnation. Things like Luke 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Because peace is definitely a big deal because um, go back to chapter 3. What's the state of humanity? We're just so awesome and good at life, aren't we? Yeah, we're chaotic and sinners and that's the poison of asps and lying tongues and evil hearts and all of that good stuff. Those people should be getting wrath and judgment and the anger of God, but because of the work that Christ has accomplished and because that his people have received salvation by grace through faith, you don't have wrath and you don't have judgment and you don't have destruction. You have peace. Whatever human being has wanted since the beginning of time. If you don't believe me, talk to yourself five seconds after you get home from work. What do you want? I want to sit in my chair and I want it to be quiet. I don't care what you do for a living. If you worked with machinery, you just want the humming to stop. Because you know it's going to be 10 minutes of quiet in the house before the humming in your head actually goes away. It's like if you've been on a boat for any length of time, you've done this, and you go home and you're cooking dinner, and you're like, stop doing that! <laughs> Same thing, you get that hum. If you have to deal with people, you get home. What happens when the phone rings? <laughs> no! <laughs> suddenly you see it's a, a long toss competition. How far can I throw this thing? <laughs> If yeah, you're, if you're a performer, imagine, imagine going home and then like, we're going to turn on the radio and listen to music. No, 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 no. I just want peace. God says, I know. I provide that to my people because of the work that I have accomplished. This is what Paul summarizes in Ephesians 2. In Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, that's Romans 3, you, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's Romans 4, you. For he himself is our peace, this is Romans 5, you, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So you've been ushered into the kingdom. You were not a people, but you are now a people. This is the work of Abraham receiving salvation before the act of circumcision so that he would be the father of those who are born of the flesh and the father of those who are born of faith. So Abraham is the father of both. That's what Ephesians is trying to summarize. That's what this whole thing is summarizing. So basically, there's your four chapters of Romans summarized right there in verse 1a. But more than that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because it's not like there's another way in, is there? I mean, you haven't found one yet. If you have, you have found a trapdoor or a thing that's not going to lead you to the right place. 1 Timothy 2. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Colossians 1 says it this way. It was the Father's good, good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him, talking about Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. This is the only way in. We're going to come back to this idea in just a second, so don't go far with it. This is the only means by which this could be accomplished. This is the work that God has done. Verse 2, because you notice that's a comma there. Through whom we also, I'm sorry, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Because again, you can't get another way in. I've told you this before. Sometimes I'm convinced that the internet is trying to mock me. So like, you know, there's there's all the memes and jokes about how you should block your uh, your camera on your laptop to make sure the CIA isn't watching you. So, ever, you've never had that kind. Con- you ever had that feeling where, like, you have a conversation in your house, and all of a sudden you open up your computer and you get an ad for the thing you were just talking about, and you're like, "Wait a minute!" Well, we've had that too many times as a coincidence, so we have named our agent and have decided in our household that Todd is in charge of spying on us. <laughs> so whenever that happens, we'll just yell at Todd and tell him to stop spying on us for this time. But I have mentioned Pilgrim's Progress so many times, and then all last week a massive controversy broke out because people were like, I don't really like Pilgrim's Progress. It wasn't really that enriching, and I thought it was very depressing. And I'm reading these people going, What's wrong with you? Like, I'm an unfeeling, uncaring monstrosity of a human being, and I cried when I read it. (laughs) Like, there's like three things that get me emotional, and like, that was one of them. It's like, what do you mean you, you, left, you were feeling uh, drained emotionally? No, no, you're just a bad person. Pilgrim's Progress does a great job of this because it actually describes the people that encounter Christian on his travels who have come in a different way. In order to get onto the king's highway, you have to leave your burden at the wicket gate. And if you don't come through the gate, then you're traveling the king's highway, but you still bear your burden, which is the symbol of your sin. And all of the people that Christian encounters who have done this, who think they found an easier path and a better way, all fall away or something happens to them along the pathway. Because there's not another entrance in. And this is one of the things that modern Christianity knows, but modern Christianity tries to downplay. You are Christians, little Christ's because of whose name you bear, whose image you are supposed to be living in, and whose pathway you are supposed to be following. This is the consistent testimony of the New Testament. So John 14, Jesus flat out told you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I mean, that's kind of simple and straightforward there, isn't it? When Peter was arrested brought before the Sanhedrin, told, stop talking about Jesus. There is salvation in no one else, Acts 4, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which men must be saved. There's not another way in. I mean, that's basically Peter telling the Sanhedrin, look, look, if you got another way, we'll talk about it, but there isn't another way, so we're stuck here. Paul again summarizes it in Ephesians 3. In accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Because nothing else gives you access, because nothing else gives you peace. I mean, think about it from this perspective. Just assume you actually, you know, have read and studied and know everything you need to know about Genesis and who God is. You know, creator of the universe, the almighty, maker of worlds, destroyer of, you know, whatever he wants to, whenever he wants to, that type of thing. And imagine he's mad at you. You want to go knock on his door? Like, you don't like going to your boss's office when they're mad at you. You want to go to God's office when he's mad at you? See, without Christ, you don't have peace. Wrath still abides. There's no other access point because there's no other way by which you may have peace with God because Romans 3, you lines up with Romans 1, you and the wrath of God is being poured out on all of that sin, which is present in all of those people because the only way to get rid of it is Jesus. And that's why Paul continues... And we exult in hope and glory of God. So you rejoice and you praise God from where? Not from outside the gate, not from outside the camp, but from inside the sanctuary. Hebrews 4. Since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. Therefore, so because you have that priest, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. you're not outside, you don't fear. this is always was one of those things that I struggled with as, as a um, as a baby Christian, and I, I had to, had to learn a little bit, grow a little, but I'm big on understanding how your Old Testament relates to your Christian walk, if you haven't figured that out by now <laughs> The Old Testament's kind of important and kind of being, Why am I doing like the George Burns Simpsons thing with my hand? <laughs> you think, yeah, excellent. <laughs> I guess I st- I haven't done the Johnny Depp Pirate thing in a while, so I had to do something else. Who knows? Sorry. Every once in a while things bother me. So because I care about the Old Testament, I I keep paying attention to like when God shows up, how do people react in the Old Testament? And yet you see, you know, they're terrified and they're freaked out. And they're like, we're going to be over here and you go over there and everything. But you get to the New Testament and you don't have that fear. Why not? Because you don't have the wrath. You don't have the worry about sin. You have been a transformed creature. You are now new in his sight. So there is no fear. Fear is cast out by the love of God. You are now being perfected and will be perfected. And so you are not worried about when God shows up. This is why you long for the day when God shows back up. You're not dreading this because you're not facing the judgment. The rest of the world is saying, hide us, hide us, hide us. And you're like, hey, he's back. Yes, awesome that's the difference. That is the work that Christ does. This is what the mediatory work of Christ is. Interceding for his people, removing the wrath, granting peace, and bringing them into the sanctuary. This is part of the picture of sin in the Old Testament. Is If you're a faithful Israelite doing everything that you're supposed to be doing, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, do you go to the sanctuary at the tabernacle? Do you enter into the curtain at the temple when it's built later on? No, you are still kept what? You are at arm's length. It's football season. You get the stiff arm, right? You are kept over there. You're not allowed in. Christian, you are. In Christ, the curtain is gone. You are in the sanctuary of the king because you have perfect peace with him. This is the joy that Christ gives to his people. This is the hope that Paul wants to make sure you catch. We've had lots of bad news. You got to have some really good news after a while, didn't you? Romans 5 is where that comes in. Um, Sorry, verse 3. (laughs) (laughs) And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Oh, come on, man. Can't we have good news for like five, six verses in a row? No, no. Paul, this is Paul. He can't give you happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. You would think something is wrong. Like, that's one of those jokes on social media, like, what's the thing you would post on social media so everybody knows you've been kidnapped? I think Paul would have been like, I'm just so happy and a joy with everything in life. Call the cops. Somebody got Paul. <laughs> the Romans have him. I just know it. That's not Paul. So why, though? Why are we exulting in our tribulations? Well, before we get to that answer, just let's stop for a second, because this is not just Paul on a depression kick. This is not unique to Paul's theology, 1 Peter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, that this is the salvation in Christ from 1 Peter 1, about 3-5. through 5. Even though, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's not just Peter either, it's James. We covered this a while ago, but we'll do it again. James 1. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So Paul's going to expand on both of those. So why are we exulting in our tribulations? So glad you asked such good questions. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Well, for starters, tribulation strengthens you. Do weak and worn down people persevere? No no, they're weak and worn down. If you see someone who looks weak and worn down, but they're persevering, are they weak and worn down? No, they are strong. They are persevering. That's what it means. Now, Christian, let's be honest. You feel strong in the world. You feel like you got this, like you are just, you know, grabbed life by the throat and you are kicking the world and in the teeth and be like, ah. Mm-mm. So why aren't you weak and worn down? Because you exult in your tribulations knowing that that it brings about perseverance. Christians persevere. 2 Corinthians 12. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. This is Paul talking about himself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You are strengthened and persevered as a Christian, not because of the strength that you possess, but because of the strength that Christ possesses. And as you are weakened by this world and worn down in your flesh, the grace and mercy of Christ shines through you. I've, I've used this as an, as an example before. This is why you should rejoice about stuff like this. <laughs> I mean, you, when you woke up one day and you were like, why does my back hurt? And it's just been like that for 20 years. <laughs> you know, I didn't hurt it. I didn't do anything to it. I just woke up one day and it's like, and it's right but look, you're all going to do the same thing. It's right there. <laughs> it's like... ha wa, yeah. Rejoice. Rejoice. Or the one I'm having lately. I'm, not, I'm, gonna be, I'm already warning Cameron now. I'm going to be Mike and Clark. Mike and Clark will come out here to work on something, and I need a mop when we're done, because you know what happens when they do like plumbing or sink repair or something like that? What happens, Jan? Well, okay, beyond that, I need the mop to clean up them, because... He starts working with metal, and Mike scrapes his arm against something, and guess what happens? (laughs) I'm doing that. I was messing with something the other day, and I was like, I have all these little scratches and scrapes in my fingers that are just permanently there. And volley, playing sand volleyball once a week is not helping because the sand is just grooving them back up again and keeping them open. <laughs> they don't bleed. They're just little scratches all over my hands. I'm like, oh, Cameron, warning you now, you better start stocking up on band-aids. I'm about 10 years away from like changing a water filter and going, now why am I bleeding? Rejoice in that, Christian. You are breaking down. And that is good news because if you didn't break down, you would rejoice in whose strength? yours. Look at me. I'm wonderful. I'm better than everyone else who's falling apart at the seams. I am amazing. No, you're not. You need Christ. You need help. You need strength from Jesus and the world will kick you in the teeth to give you that every chance it needs to. Because this is what the Holy Spirit does, is to drag you through your trials and tribulations so that you will rejoice, not in your accomplishment, but in his. And again, not necessarily unique to Paul. 1 John 2, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children because you know the father. And I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been, who has been from the beginning. And I have written to you young men because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. How? Because 1 John 2 comes after 1 John 1 and 1 John 1 reminds you that you need Jesus. That his grace and mercy overcomes your sin, not your accomplishment. And that you need to run to Christ at every chance and opportunity that you get. This is what tribulation begins to do. It strengthens you for the world that you face, for the fitting of the kingdom. Beyond that, verse 4. So, hang on, I'm going to borrow because I'm on different pages. So, tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. Tribulation sanctifies you. Which is kind of the whole thing that's been going on from the beginning. Proverbs 17, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. This is uh, Peter's description reminding you that you are not redeemed with, you know, useless things like gold and silver that are refined in the fire. I mean, how do you get gold? You dig it out of the ground and you're like, well, what, you know, what carrot is this? What grain is it? Well, how do you get the impurities out of it? You cook the snot hat of it. And what happens to all the impurities? They come up. You skim those off. And what are you left with? Now we got the good stuff. That, as far as salvation is concerned, is the useless things. If we're willing to refine the useless things to purify them, what is God going to do with something valuable like you? Just leave you like you are? A little bit of clay, a little bit of stone, a little bit of sin, a little bit of good stuff. And we'll just see how that happens. Let's see what that bakes off in the oven and what we come out with. Yeah, No. No, we refine, we purify. The Lord tests the heart. He tests his people. He strengthens them. This is what sanctification looks like. I mentioned this, I think it was last week. Don't pray for patience. Because how do you get patience? God sends you people to annoy the snot out of you so that you can learn to be patient. You can learn to be patient. Like, how many of you have ever had anger problems? You're like, Lord, I need help with my anger. And that was like the worst week in human history. Because everything was designed to do what? Make you angry. Why? So that you can learn to control yourself and to trust in him and not be angry. You know, this is, this is how life works. Whatever your fault is, whatever your foible is, whatever the thing is you're trying to overcome, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> get ready to deal with that a lot because this is how it works. This is what character looks like. You dealing with things over time. You leaning away from the world and into Christ consistently over time. Why? Ephesians 4 summarizes it. As a result, talking about again how we walk, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. But Let's use Paul's analogy. Anchors. Let's say you have to build anchors for ships. So you build your anchor factory and you build lovely anchors. Do you just take the anchors off the assembly line, attach them to a boat and send them out? Is that what you do? It'll be fine. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. What should you do? You should have some sort of test chamber. You should like stick it in the ground and try to drag it off or stick it in a water tank and push wind and waves or, to make sure your anchor does what? Make sure your chains are actually what? Secure and strong so that they hold. Would you want to go out into a storm in the ocean with an untested anchor? I think it'll be fine. Here's some duct tape and some rubber bands. See how that works for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't like this plan. This is how your anchor, Christian, your holding to your foundation is tested is the waves are going to do what? They're going to stir up. The wind is going to blow. Something is going to run into you. Otherwise, you'd just be like, look, I'm so amazing. I've just stood right here, and I haven't moved the whole time. Well, yeah, but nothing's tried to move you. "Ah, Stop pushing. (laughs) This is what character comes through. It comes through difficulty. It comes through trials. It comes through your tribulation. This is why you exult in them. You celebrate them. Why? Again, Just like the world isn't worried about its sin because it doesn't care, the world isn't worried about overcoming its faults because the world doesn't care about those either. The world doesn't worry about overcoming their sins because the world doesn't view them as sins. You look at this and go, I had a bad reaction. I indulged in the flesh. I did not trust in Christ. I went the wrong way. And the world goes, that's what I would have done. See, that's the problem. (laughs) See, that's exactly the problem. I need to actually recognize where my power lies and where my faults are. I need to lie. I need to recognize what my idols are and lean into Christ. And as soon as you start saying that, you know what Jesus says? Yes. Guess what's going to happen next week? We're going to do this a second time and see what happens that time. This is how character is produced. And once character is there, proven character produces hope. Because tribulation focuses you. See, if this world was amazing, this is another example. We've talked about this a thousand times. If amazing, never gave you any difficulty, never gave you any tribulations, never gave you any struggles, and you were just perfect right into the end, what would you think is awesome besides you? This world, it's amazing. You reacted just like I did. Of course I did. Look at how easy everything is, and it's wonderful. What have you been pruned from? What What have you been purified away from? What has been chiseled off of you? And the answer is nothing. Who do you trust in, and where is your hope found? Wrong places. Your eyes need to be lifted up. Away from the world, away from you, upon God, you need a hope beyond the things of this world. Because let's be honest, it's not like the world has done anything at all to try to get you to place its hopes down here. It would never do anything like that. I mean, this is one of those things that it seems like an overemphasis in our modern world, but it is a needed overemphasis in our modern world. We we forget how good we've got it. You hear it? That's a relatively new invention in human history. Up until like 75 years ago, we'd just all be in here sweating. Aren't you so happy? (laughs) (laughs) That was even before deodorant. It gets worse. (laughs) And this would have been illegal, remember? You got to get the sleeves and the buttons and... I still look at old pictures and see, like, how did you not die in the summer? Like, you see people in the south in Alabama going to church, and it's like, how? How did you all not melt into puddles into your own shoes? We're soft. That's my my conclusion. And you know what? I don't even care. Turn the fan on. (laughs) Turn the fan on. I will just be soft, and it's okay. But those just little things, we have it so good that... The world has been so appeasing and accommodating to our humanity that it, you don't realize how easy it is to just saddle up to it and just like ah, so comfortable here. And the gospel goes, stop that. No, you need difficulty. You need tribulation. Yes, take advantage of the air conditioning. Make it comfortable. But realize that that's not the provision that you trust in. It is Christ in whom trust. It is God where our hope is placed. It is something beyond this place. You're not going to get to heaven and wonder what the thermostat is set at, okay? And if you do, you've made it to the wrong place, okay? (laughs) Yeah, just in case you're ever wondering, you get there and you go, you know, it seems like it's a little warm in here. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you should have (laughs) listened. Sorry. (laughs) Character is supposed to build you up in hope so that you, over time, train yourself to focus on the right thing. This is what scripture has been pointing to, Isaiah 55. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. That's the word as we have it. That's the word as God spoke it to the prophets. That's the word as it is embodied in Christ. It will accomplish what? The building up and redeeming of God's people. Good commentary understanding of that. Hebrews 11. Do your bookends, first and last. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. And you get to the end of that chapter, all these, after that long list, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Now just realize how many thousands of years Hebrews 11 cover. But it goes back to Noah, and to Abraham, and to Isaac, and to Samson, and to all of these people. And realize that you are talking about thousands of years of history, and they are still called to do what? Hope. To put their faith in the accomplishment of God. Now, Christian, this is where you live day in and day out. This is another thing that tribulation is giving you. As you look at the brokenness of this world, you look at the infestation of sin out there, and unfortunately, way too often in here, and you say, there's got to be something better. Oh, there's something better. Okay, (laughs) I can do this, not because I can do this, but because he can do this. And that as he is building me, as he is refining me, as he is strengthening me, he has not forgotten me, he will not abandon me. We're gonna get to that, by the way, because Paul's gonna make that point, and he will carry me through. So, verse five, And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. Ooh, there's a lot there. Um, The seal, the accomplishment, how you know that you know that you know, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, Ephesians 1, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was... pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. See, God has actually sealed you with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. This is one of the reasons why I tell you, how do you know you look at the accomplishment of your life over time? Am I better now than I was 5, 10, 15, 25 hike years ago? And the answer is, if the answer is yes, congratulations. This is the Holy Spirit building and accomplishing. If the answer is no, you know what you need to do? Go return, pass go, do not collect $200 and, you know, start over again because we missed a step somewhere. Return to Christ. This is always the answer for the problem is return to Christ and rest in him. But that accomplishment, that perseverance over time, you know, those small baby steps that we celebrate, the proof of the Holy Spirit is the proof of salvation because this is what God has promised to his people. And by the way, Remember, a hallmark of this book is a sovereign God, a ruling and reigning God who does not and cannot fail. Things like Isaiah 14. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, surely just as I have intended, so it has happened, and just as I have planned it, so it will stand. You are held in the sanctuary by God. Who's prying his fingers open, just out of curiosity? I haven't asked that in a while, just to kind of make you think about it. Like, God's like, hey, this one's mine. What are you doing? Like, remember when, you, dad, would you ever do that with your kids or, like, your nephews or something like that, where you grab something and they try to take it out of your hand and you'd be like, oh, oh, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. No, you're not. Because <laughs> let's be honest, if you don't want the little kid to get it, what's going to happen? They're not going to get it. That's how this works. Well, imagine that's you with a kid. Imagine the Almighty. With sinful humanity. You think something's prying his hands off of you? This is the accomplishment of God. This is the joy of his people. That we are secure. Not because of our work. But because of his work. Verse 6. For while we were still helpless. At the right time Christ died for the ungodly. All right. Two things and we're gonna deal with them out of order because it's it's easier to do the second thing first. So at the right time, the timing was right. Things like Galatians 4 4. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So the timing was right, but go back to the first part of this verse. Who was not? <laughs> the time was right, we were not. Romans three, go back a couple of chapters. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And by the way, whenever you're reading in your Bible, when talking about Jews and Greeks or Jews and Gentiles, that's everybody. It's the only two categories of people in existence. Um, And by the way, don't give the Jews a hard time. It's one of those fun little quirks of history. Every society does this. There's us. And then there's them. (laughs) Every society does this. That's why like every that's like if you've ever had like that that um that ethnic uncle, you know the one who's connected closer to the grandparents who came over on the boat, who knows all the words that your parents didn't want him to teach you, you know that one? He's got a word for everybody, a name for them because every culture has an us and a them. If you actually go back to the ancient world, it's one of those hysterical things that we still use the terminology. Like you hear the word barbarian. That was a Greek them. Because in the Greek mindset, there was us. The smart, sophisticated, intelligent people. How do we know we're the smart, sophisticated, intelligent people? We speak Greek. Those people who don't speak Greek, they speak some sort of Germanic language. Well, to our Greek ears, you know what it sounds like? So they are now called barbarians because they speak (laughs) barbar. Us and our smart sophistication. That's the name we came up with. (laughs) That was the us and the them. So there were Greeks, and there was everybody else, and everybody else was a barbarian. If you've ever seen, if you ever watch any good war documentaries or, um, or read any books where they actually tell you, like, not the sanitized version that makes it to CBS, you will find that every culture that goes to war has some sort of name for that guy over there. Everyone. We did it to the Germans, we did it to the Japanese, the Japanese did it to us, the Germans did it to us because at the end of the day, in order to kill that guy, you know what I have to do first? I have to hate him. And in order, the fastest way to hate him is to not think of him as a human being. That's why uh, one of my favorite history stories is the. Uh, the uh <clears throat> Shoot, my brain just stopped. The unofficial impromptu 1914 World War I Christmas piece, which broke out all along the um the front, where the some of the some of the English and French soldiers on the Allied side heard Germans singing Christmas carols and were like, Maybe we'll sing too and you don't shoot at us today? And they like the Germans made put up Christmas trees, and then they were making gifts, and like they went out and played soccer together, and <laughs> and the commanders were like, "Stop doing that! We need you to shoot that guy tomorrow, and I don't want you to think of him as a human being. Get your butt back in the trench." <laughs> and yeah, and then they tr- then they tried to, to hide the news stories as they were coming out. Like, no, 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 that totally did not happen. That was not a thing at all. We hate the Germans. They're evil, terrible, horrible people, and we're gonna shoot them tomorrow. Trust us. <laughs> We couldn't shoot them today. It's Jesus' birthday. That's the only reason. (laughs) I mean, that was the mindset and the rationale. Because if we want you to hate them, we need to other them first. Every society does this because every society is built by what? Fallen, sinful humans. It is the gospel that says what? No, you're either out of the kingdom because of your sin and the wrath of God abides upon you. Or the work of Christ has covered your sin. You have peace with God and you're in from every tribe, tongue, nation. It is the gospel that removes the distinctions and brings you in. And this is part of what Christ does is he takes the people who were not right and he makes them right. Romans 8. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And that's why Paul... Second part of this exposition. Guess who it's time to talk about? Not that we don't do it enough already, but it's time to talk more about Jesus, and it's always good news. So, verse 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. All right. Paul, ta- Paul starts his exposition on Jesus with a logical point. You like your life. Agreed? You would prefer to keep it than lose it, right? In general, for humanity. If that's not true for you, we can talk about whatever issues you're working through, okay? Um, (laughs) But in general, humanity would prefer living to not living, right? Now, if you are going to surrender your status as a living person, you're going to do it for a very, very, very good reason, right? You're not going to go, hey, you see that scumbag over there that everybody hates? Who wants to die for him? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? And you're all saying, no, no, we're all good. Now, this was an obvious point in Paul's day. Now, they were a very collectivist society. Your, your cog in the machine was very much important in a Middle Eastern world. You don't just, you know, grow up to do what you want. You don't grow up to marry who you want. You don't grow up to believe what you want. We have family. We have community. We have society. There's rules here. Get in line. That was a very collectivist society, and that was an obvious point to them. You live in what we would consider a very individualistic society. Don't tell me how to live, man. You know. It's an obvious point for humanity, and it's Paul's starting point. You're not dying for bad reasons, okay? Remember that, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All right, this is the difference. Well, okay, this is one of the differences between God and us. I'm sure we could come up with a list. (laughs) There you go. That's your homework for today. Come up with a list of all the ways that you're different from God. (laughs) You'd be like, "Eh, this is no fun. (laughs) Now, we show love. We demonstrate it. God is love. It is a part of his character. God is not defined as loving because we see God demonstrating love and go, oh, he must be loving. No, no. The Definition of love by which we go, oh, look, God is doing this wonderful thing. And we like that. So that must be what love looks like. That's how we define it, because God is the standard of the definition, not the other way around. First John 4. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I love when I get to read that word, because you know what I have to do next, don't you? <laughs> you guys should mostly have this by now, though, right? Propitiation means to turn away wrath. We now have, how did this chapter start out with? Hang on, my page doesn't work. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have been propitiated towards God. The wrath of God has been turned away. This is the love of God poured out. And by the way, Christian, this is why you need that tribulation in the world, because you need that sanctification. Because when left to your own devices, this is an easy one. You ready? So this is the pop quiz you didn't have to study for. When left to your own devices in the world, no outward change, no inward motivation, just you living your life how you feel like it. Over time, will you be more like Christ or less like Christ? (laughs) unfortunately, right? And you're like, stop reminding me how bad I am. I didn't do it. Romans did it. Take it up with Paul. (laughs) Just so you know, if you ever get there to the end and you're like, I want to fight with Paul, you're going to start noticing how warm it is again. You know, be like, you know, somebody turn the thermostat down while we're at it. This is why you are called to a different standard. John 15. This is Jesus telling the disciples, greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. And this is why, in order to be sanctified, in order to exult in your tribulations, in order to celebrate the accomplishment of God, you must be changed. This is Ephesians 2 in action. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us, to get, made us alive together with Christ. And then the little parentheses to summarize all of that. By grace, you have been saved. That is what Christ does to a people and for a people that do not deserve it. Not because you were almost there and you just needed a little bit of help to get across the finish line. But this is the love of God in action for his people. Is looking at his people and saying, not that they need to clean themselves up, but that they are incapable and they need the redemption of God. And this is what he accomplishes for them. Now, because that is true, and again, that's kind of a summary of all chapters 3 and 4 as well, verse 9, much more than, so if God do that for you when you were that bad, much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. This is what peace with God looks like in action. This is why I said this, is why I said this uh, passage is kind of like the nuts and bolts of Paul's explanation. Is what does it then look like moving forward? Does God just go, all right, pulled you out of the swamp, cleaned you up. Now, stay right there and get clean. No, because what's going to happen next? The winds and the waves and the storms and the pushing and the, all of that. And what do you need? I need an anchor, but I don't have a good anchor. Who has to give me a good anchor? How do I strengthen this anger and how do I keep testing it and making sure it is good by continually running back to the God who has saved you? John 15. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. You almost all of you probably have a good example of this in your mind, you just don't realize it. Remember the science class where they gave you all the avocado seed? <laughs> do you guys ever do this? Oh, this was, you did this, didn't you, Cameron? I can't be the only weirdo that, like, everybody I knew did this growing up. Okay, this is definitely a North Carolina thing, sorry. This was one of those science class staples. They give you an avocado seed, you stick four toothpicks in it, and you stick it in a cup with about halfway full of water, so that just the bottom part of the avocado seed has water. Now, you know, if you do that for a couple of days, and you leave it in a warm place, you know what's going to happen? It's going to sprout. Now, if you leave it for another couple of days and do nothing else to it, you know what's going to happen? No. It's going to die because it doesn't have any soil and it doesn't have enough water and it doesn't have enough nutrients. You have to take it from the water and actually put it into some ground and then take care of it. And then if you don't have the right soil and the right um, climate and the right atmosphere and all of that good stuff, you'll get a little bit of a vine tree type thing and then it'll die. And now if you live in certain parts of like California or Florida and you get the weather right, you can actually get like a little tree. But it's a great example of what Jesus is talking about. If you don't actually plug into the power that is Christ, what are you going to produce? Your avocado seed. Set it in a cup of water. Oh, look, I did a good job. I didn't go very far, did it? <laughs> this is what's going to happen to everyone who is apart from the true vine. You have to be plugged into Christ, redeemed and sealed by the Holy Spirit, saved by grace through faith in the works of the Father, understanding all of these things, because anything else is empty. But this is also the accomplishment that God has promised and has delivered. This is the other reason why you have to remember and understand a sovereign God when you get through Romans, is you don't just have a God who's like, you're not a wind-up toy. He's not like, all right, saved him, saved him, saved him, saved him, now go! (laughs) Go! Let's see what happens. Remember those little wind-up cars, the little wind-up soldiers? You know what they never did right? They never went where you wanted them to. You wind them up and turn them loose, and where did they go? Anywhere but in the direction where they were safe. So, like, in my house as a kid, because I had 27,000 dogs in the house, they always went under the couch. And you know what I spend the next three days doing? You know what lives under the couch when you have a bunch of dogs in the house? All the hair. Not some of it. So you pull the car out, and it's like, Okay, and then you spend the next three days. Connor used to do this with his, and I used to sit there with a screwdriver and a pair of of tweezers and take it apart, and I learned how to to take Connor's little push-button remote-control car apart and back together again way more than I wanted to, because I have to take it apart, take all the little dog hairs out of it, wipe it out, re-grease the axles on it and everything, and then put it all back together so that he could play with it for like 12 minutes so that it would do what? Back to the dog hair. I just cleaned that spot. Where did that hair come from? And dogs sit in the corner like, mm -hmm." (laughs) That's not you, Christian. That's you apart from Christ. In Christ, you start winding off towards the dog hair, and you know what you get? Don't go that way. <laughs> Stop going that way. And if you keep going that way, eventually what does the Holy Spirit do? All right, fine. Go get in the dog hair. How'd that work out for you? Didn't like that, did you? You're all, bugged. You're all gummed up and can't go anywhere, can you? Uh-huh. Now what? What did I say to Connor every time he ran that car through the dog hair? Let me have it so I can spend the next hour doing what? This is what the Holy Spirit does for you, Christian. This is the work that is accomplished day in and day out. This is the discipline of God. Okay, you want to indulge in that one? Fine. Ah, yeah, you don't like that, do you? You recognize that that's wrong. You recognize that's sinful. Who cleans you? Who cleanses you? Who loves you and who rejoices over you? Now, let's remember this. Keep our hopes rightly placed upon God. And let's do what again? Get back to progressing and get back to walking in the right direction. According to the grace of God, which was given me, 1 Corinthians 3, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is the actual accomplishment of God. With Christ as the foundation, a righteous seed has been planted and a righteous plant will spring up because this is what the Holy Spirit has sealed in his people. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, by, uh, reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. With all of that in there, you're not being abandoned. You're not being left. You're being strengthened and built up and instructed day by day. John 14, Jesus again promised to the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans and I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, and you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in, that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who, does, who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. And you're going, okay, can you summarize that for me with maybe a pithy verse from Paul? Yes, I can. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, six. He who has died for you, he who has loved you, he who has redeemed you, is he who is strengthening you, who will carry you forward, and who will not leave you behind. Verse 11. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So, with all of that now in your brain, knowing who God is, going back to chapter 1, knowing who you is, going all the way back to chapters 2, 3, and 4, and knowing what he has accomplished in spite of that, what should be the proper reaction of you? Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I didn't warn you to look out for this ahead of time because I wanted to catch you not paying attention. (laughs) Did you notice your exalts today? There were three of them. You exult in hope. Yes, your exults. It's, I, it's actually a word in English. I always want to say exalt, but it's not quite the right word. You exult in hope because God has graciously saved you. That's all the way back to the beginning. You re, you exult in tribulation because God is at work within us. That's your sanctification and your proven character and your hope and all of that. And you exult here in the praise of God. Why? Because you're his children. How did you become children? Just like, I think it was last week. I, I can never remember what week I say what. Big shock, right? Did you pick your parents? No. They didn't, did, did they pick you? Did you pick your kids? Because some of you have been like, um, <laughs> I'd have picked a lot better. <laughs> you you didn't pick which god would redeem you you didn't pick how that would be accomplished but god has picked and redeemed you. You have been adopted as his child. You have been redeemed and brought into the sanctuary. Again, not at arm length. So you exult in hope because the God who is sovereign and ruling and reigning will not forget you, will not forsake you, and he will accomplish all that he has promised. You exult in tribulation because it's how he strengthens and prunes and purifies you away from this world and into that hope that you need because ultimately you exult in God who has claimed you, has brought you into his household, who has brought you into his holy sanctuary and has claimed you as his and will not allow this world to overcome you, will not allow sin, to go back to our nautical reference, to swamp you, but will bring you to a good end because it is what he has promised to his children. Let's pray.